Good morning, Judy. Good morning, Nia. Good morning, Augie. Good morning, Nia. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know it's very much like the Waltons at this point. Um, so, except with good morning instead of good night. So, listeners, we have with us Dr. Judy Twig, who is our Russia expert, and she's helping us with this short today because we have a few. No, we have many, many questions about about Ukraine and Russia, but we're going to keep it to a relatively short. Um, we're recording this on February 18th. So when you hear this, if we if they have already invaded each other or there's been a you know limited nuclear exchange, we're sorry that hasn't happened yet. So we're projecting into the future. Um, but Augie and I had a, a few questions for for Dr. Twig. So Judy, can I start with the first question? Sure. Although I'll uh, just briefly play off your intro with two really important points. One is that the chances of limited nuclear exchange evolving out of this situation are virtually zero. Oh, excellent. I'm not worried about that. That's not going to happen. And the second <laughs> is invading each other is a framing of the situation that plays right into Putin's hands. Yeah. Ukraine, Ukraine is not going to invade anybody. Russia is going to try and is currently trying its best to make it seem as though Russia is doing that to give Russia a pretext to invade. Ukraine is doing that to give Russia a pretext, right? Russia wants everybody to think that think they, Ukraine is making yeah. hostile moves. Yeah. That will okay. then give Russia a pretext to invade further. That's another thing that's not just a semantic thing. Russia invaded Ukraine back in 2014, and 14,000 people have been killed in that conflict since then. So, um, when we talk about what Russia, Russia might do next, it's a further invasion or intensification of Russian aggression that has already taken place. You're on mute, Nia. I'm so sorry. Is that beyond uh, Crimea that they've invaded or are we talking about Crimea? That is beyond Crimea. So okay. the place in Ukraine that everyone is focused on right now are two provinces in the eastern part of Ukraine um, called, called the Donbass region. And back as a part of that 2014 invasion when Russia just relatively peacefully just took over Crimea, um, they also sent in ununiformed Russian troops. Remember all the talk about the little green men back in 2014? Ah, yes, okay. Yeah, it, it, th those were Russian troops disguised as Ukrainian provocateurs um, who stirred up trouble that basically gave Russian-backed separatists in those parts of Ukraine and an excuse, a fabricated excuse to start trouble. So right now in those two regions of Ukraine, think about it as being like two states in the United States, those two regions of Ukraine are divided um, where there's part of those regions that's still formally part of Ukraine and there's part of those regions that are part of a conflict zone in which there is shelling and violence and loss of life happening all the time. Um, the most likely scenario for Russia to move now is to intensify the conflict in those regions and use those as the staging points for further incursions into Ukraine. So if you're having a fight, right, 
and the other person punches you because you've punched them, then you go around saying, they punched me. I need to punch them back. And they're like, no, I just punched you in defense. Like I wasn't, I didn't start this. Somehow that's what, that's what Russia is doing with Ukraine. They're saying, well, they're fighting. And they're like, well, yeah, we're fighting for our lives because you're in here trying to kick our butts and take our names. And we don't like that. And so Russia keeps saying, but they're fighting. They're fighting. Well, yeah, they're fighting because you got it. Who wouldn't? There, is, there is so much of Putin's behavior that can be accurately described in schoolyard bully terms. Yeah. yeah. This is definitely one of those cases. So what we've been okay. seeing over the last, you know, over the last couple of weeks, but especially intensified over the last 24 hours is all along the sort of artificial border that separates the Ukrainian held part of those two regions in the east versus the separatist, you know, Russian backed part of those two regions in the east. All along that border, there has been intensified Russian shelling. Uh, they hit a kindergarten <gasps> on the Ukrainian controlled side about this time yesterday. Um, a couple of teachers were hurt, no kids were hurt, um, no. but they're just lopping shells over, just waiting for someone on the Ukrainian side to fight back, right? They're, oh, and, and so the Ukrainian armed forces are in a horrific position right now because they are taking this fire under orders not to fire back, not to defend themselves for fear that this will give Russia the public relations pretense that it's looking for to invade. Okay, and so we've heard of this happening in a lot of other conflicts, right? Where somebody starts shooting and then someone else shoots respond. back because they're afraid or, or accidentally, right? That's a lot of times somebody accidentally shoots and then they, the other side uses it in excuse. Well, now they're shooting at us. So well, we have me, to. In listeners, another metaphor, if you're a sports fan, um, another metaphor here is um, you see this in uh, athletic competitions somebody commits a foul the refs don't see it but what the refs see is the response okay right and who gets flagged okay for the foul right it's it's the one who responds right so i mean it, 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 as and I've the been, audience goes bonkers because it's incredibly unfair which is basically what we're doing yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're going right. bonkers because it's basically unfair, right? Like, but but, wait, but, but I, is, have a, is, is I have somebody, a is somebody who's coached sports teams before. I've told my players don't respond. But Judy, as you just mentioned, in regards to the Ukraine military uh, forces, it puts them just in a in a horrific spot because you have been trained as a person in the military that when you are fired upon, you do what in response? Fire back. You no. fire back, right? I mean, because th that's what you've been trained to do. That's your job. Well, okay. and, and wait, so I'm just going to say that me as a, as a non-trained individual, if I, if somebody blew up the kindergarten in my town, it would be really hard for me not to. Yeah. Yeah. Not to be like, oh, you know, you know what? I'm gonna come over there and kick your butt because this is not okay. Right. So I can I get that it's also riling up regular people who may have tiny little weapons and and go out right and 
and try to defend their town. And that that also could be used as a as a, I assume a precursor. Can I right. ask though so, a larger right, question? I mean, make two points about this though. Okay. One is that the the um, correct way we're framing this here points to how sort of mature and 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 doing anything they can to maintain peace. Um, the Ukrainian government, the Ukrainian military, and the Ukrainian people are being. And in fact, Putin's strategy here is backfiring in that these, these provocations of the last couple of weeks, this force buildup now with 150,000 um, you know, Russian troops uh, surrounding Ukraine on three sides uh, of their country, um, it, it is uniting the Ukrainian people in favor of joining NATO, joining the European Union, being oriented westward rather than toward Russia, um, they were already leaning in that direction, but it's even further solidifying Ukrainian public opinion in that direction. So what Putin is doing is backfiring here, just kind of dangerous because it's it's pinning him into a corner in some ways. Right. Um, second thing is that in practical terms, um, taking the sports field analogy even further, you know, so let's imagine um, since we're in Europe here, let's do. Uh, you know, let's do soccer. Let's do that kind of football, you know, because soccer players are famous for, um, you know, feigning the injury. Oh, yes. Oh, I've broken my ankle and they fall over yeah, so, and there's lots of drama. Exactly. So yeah. let's imagine that that you have the scenario we've outlined where someone, um, you know, it, it, it commits a foul. The other person pushes back and everybody gets upset about the pushback rather than the initial foul. Now let's imagine not only has that happened, but the initial aggressor has also pre-planted injured players all over the field that he can point to and say, look, look at all of the fouls that are already being committed by the other side and is also fabricating all kinds of videos and planting them all over social media and on the uh, hometown TV stations um, about the horrendous fouls that the opposing team has created. So Russian state media now is talking about Ukrainians committing genocide against Russian speaking people in the Donbass region. Of course, um, that's, you know, the, that's what I would say. Videos, I mean, using really landing on that word genocide in a major way over the last couple of weeks um, and doctoring videos of mass graves, of exchanges of fire initiated by Ukrainian forces. Um, you know, Russia, one of the things that will be unique about this conflict, if this conflict happens, is that it will be the first time we've seen information warfare as a key element of the campaign in the era when Russia has become so good at that. So it, it's gonna look different than- Well, ex except can I throw out a, a small tiny glimmer of hope, which is that there are a fair number of dissidents in Russia who don't believe that crap. Mm -hmm. Like who, who look <laughs> at that and say- All of them in jail over the last year. Right, but, but, but that there's at least a, an underground of people who are like, this is not a thing and we, <clears throat> this is made up and we have to try to, I don't know, get the word out. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's this tiny, I have this tiny glimmer of hope that that they're not all in jail and some of them could could be slowly trying to work on the on it from the other direction and say, this is what that really looks like. Like the ones who are taking cell phone videos where he's saying, we're pulling troops back and they're like, nah, here's my cell phone video of 8,000 tanks in my neighborhood. This is not 
if this is a pullback, then what were we at at the beginning? Which is really kind of nice because we're getting sort of citizen reporting mm -hmm. from out of Ukraine where you're getting videos that haven't been yep. doctored. And that that's a huge, I, I mean, I know it's a tiny glimmer of hope, but it's at least a glimmer of hope. Right. Yeah. It means that the information space is not entirely polluted, that you have. Yeah. And, and that you have Julie, people who. Yeah, go ahead. I'll... Well, this kind of sort of strikes me um, in, in, uh, in you two know this about me and maybe some of our listeners do. Uh, I'm a big film fan. This really reminds me of the movie Wag the Dog. OK, where you are manufacturing a war okay and you're using technology and actors etc etc but one of the premises of wagging the dog is that you have a reason to do so so which begs the question why is putin wagging the dog if you will with ukraine yeah, did Ukraine talk bad about his mom or something? Like, what is the deal with with Ukraine being his upset? He's like a stalker, and Ukraine is like an ex girlfriend that has left him, and somehow he yes. just can't he just can't stop chasing her around. Not that I'm referencing anybody, Kanye West, but um, but you know, like what what is the deal? What is so special about Ukraine? So, and our metaphors are just on fire this morning here. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, it's not only why is Putin so obsessed with Ukraine in general, it's why is he doing these specific things with this military buildup and this particular threat? Why is this happening now? What, you know, what, what, is, what is driving the timing of this action? So in, in a broad sense, uh, and we're going to do a whole lot of history in a very short period of time here. Um, it goes back to the collapse of the Soviet Union back in the early 1990s. And the fact that when the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, the 15 countries that were formerly part of the Soviet Union, all of them on the European side of Russia, uh, leaned westward. Um, many of them joined the European Union, some of them joined NATO. Um, a lot of the, uh, not just the Eastern European countries that were in the Soviet orbit, but actually the countries that were part of the Soviet Union, the Baltics, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, um, are now solid members of the Western you know, transatlantic community in both political, economic, uh, security terms. And as that has, as that played out in the 90s, there wasn't much Russia could do about it. Remember Boris Yeltsin was in charge uh, in Russia back then. Um, you know, he and Clinton were great buddies. They uh, were working together toward Russian economic reform, building democracy in Russia. That all came to a crashing halt when Putin came into power in the year 2000. He never liked the idea of Russia turning westward. Yeah. He never liked the idea of Western-oriented, Western-allied countries being right at his doorstep um, throughout most of the 2000s, Russia wasn't powerful enough to do anything about it. Ah. But as oil and natural gas prices went up in the mid to late 2000s, so Russia got lots and lots of money from selling those commodities on international markets. Uh, as Putin has consolidated his political power over time, uh, he's been able to speak more and more confidently about 
Russia as a resurgent legitimate great power in its own right. He's been able to forge maybe not alliances, but conversations with China and with some other uh, non-Western countries in the world about forming an international system that poses an alternative to a unipolar American-led Western liberal capitalist democracy. Uh, and so this is what we're seeing in big, broad historical terms is the evolution of trends that have been in, in play over the last couple of decades. Um, why is it happening right now? You know, why is Putin taking these moves right now? So I think there are a couple of reasons. One is that uh, Ukraine has always been a particular um, you know, sort of thorn in, uh, in Putin's paw for a couple of reasons. One is that it's big and potentially very wealthy um, and right on his doorstep. Um, and Putin it reads a lot of history. Um, especially during the pandemic when he's been kind of, you know, people in, in Russia joke about him being a, a grandpa in the bunker. You know, he's, he's been isolated down in this, you know, COVID-free zone uh, in, in his, uh, you know, country house outside Moscow. Um, the, the circle of people that he sees has become incredibly small during the pandemic. And it has been largely limited to conservative ideologues from the security services, who I think are feeding this tendency he already had to think about Russia's historically larger geographic boundaries, its historic ties to domination over Kiev. Um, and and you know, so it, it's geopolitics and it's also Putin's sense of Russia being aggrieved and wanting to right the wrongs of recent history by you know, sort of reuniting people in, uh, in Ukraine and Russia. One of the ways he's acted on this ever since the current Ukrainian president was elected in the middle of 2019, and there were some, I think, fears in Russia that this Ukrainian president might lean west a, a little bit too much. Um, the current Ukrainian president, by the way, is Ukraine's version of Jon Stewart. Um, he's a comedian. Uh, he, was, he was the star of a TV show, uh, a comedy, a sitcom in Ukraine called Servant of the People that portrayed a comedian who, by a sequence of events, ended up becoming president of the country, and then it happened in real life. Um, so, but, but, so that. Um, but, uh, but Zelensky, that president, has tried to kind of... Uh, find a middle ground that I think Putin has feared leans too far west. So not too long after Zelensky came, became president back in the middle of 2019, one of the things that Putin did was start to issue Russian passports to people living in the not Ukrainian controlled territories of those two provinces in the east in the Donbass that we were talking about before. So right now there are 720,000 people in those two regions who hold Russian passports that they didn't have three years ago. So here's part of your pretext that Russia will use is we just need to go in and protect our Russian citizens living in these areas against violence perpetrated by Ukraine. So part of the reason Putin might be doing this now is because he's set the stage, he set the table for it with the uh, passportization of the conflict. Well, and he's got enough. 700,000 is, a, right, like you would need to build up that number because if it was 10,000, it's a lot different 
optics wise than if it's 700,000, then you're starting to look like, as we would say um, casually, that's starting to be real money, right? Like that's starting to actually be. Right. And those aren't necessarily people who support Russia, wish they lived under Russia control. <laughs> those are people who by and large are using those Russian passports to gain access to Russian social services. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and move freely across the border. I mean, this, uh, this border between the, the Ukrainian government-controlled and not government-controlled areas in Luhansk and Donetsk, the, the two regions, um, that there are pensioners who need to travel back and forth across that border to pick up their pensions. There are families divided in, in this border. It, it, it's just an, an insanely uh, chaotic, violent situation. It, is there going to be an invasion? Uh, good question. Um, and nobody knows, right? Um, so another interesting element to this is the degree to which the United States government has been so aggressively and confidently predicting not only that there will be an invasion, but the specific timing of it, right? How extraordinary to hear the Biden administration say, basically, we think they're going to do it on Wednesday, right? You know, Wednesday of this week was when everybody thought it was going to happen. Um, so a couple of reasons that I think that publicly we have data that make us think that it, if it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen now. Um, one is that the ground is still frozen there. And so tanks and heavy artillery don't get bogged down in mud, which might happen as the ground starts to thaw in the coming weeks and months. Yes, Although, ask Napoleon um, or Hitler. Right, exactly. Although um, military technology has to some degree evolved beyond that. Not sure that's as huge a factor as it might've been. The other thing was that giant, beautiful full moon the other night. Um, so you've got light for ah. operation. Um, that, that's another thing that I'm sure was determining the timing. But I, I also think that the Biden administration has a strategy here, right? So from my perspective, there is nobody I would rather see in charge of the American response to this situation right now than Joe Biden and the people he has working with him in the State Department and in the NSC and the Pentagon. This is an exquisitely experienced, mature, grown-up team that Biden has handling this. So I, I am confident that they know what they're doing when they take these extraordinary steps of, of trumpeting the immediacy of this invasion. So I, I, it can only be the case that they've done the calculation and figured that the potential benefit of deterring Putin from taking this action and by calling him out on it in such specific ways, the potential benefits of that strategy outweigh the reputational risk that's involved in, in maybe crying wolf, right? You know, right. Yeah. Yeah. over and over again, it's gonna happen today, it's gonna happen tomorrow. You, you unite your Western alliance around that threat for now, but your Western alliance is already pretty tenuous when you've got Germany that makes lots and lots of money from Russia and really doesn't want to put sanctions on that are any more intense than they already are. Um, you know, you, you risk fraying that alliance around the edges the more and more you continue to say, it's gonna happen any day, it's gonna to happen tonight and then it doesn't happen. Um, so yeah, we're, we're playing a, an incredibly dangerous cat and mouse game right now. Okay. Uh, have you ever seen the movie Footloose? No, I have not. 
there's a there's a scene where there's two people in tractors and they are playing chicken in tractors, and one of them wants to jump off and his shoelace gets gets hung in the tra- and so he can't, so he has to keep going. I have to admit that that's my fear, is that there might be a certain point at which Putin feels like he has to go because he's made such a big deal of it to his people that backing down would be so deleterious to his to his position. I have to admit that that's my fear. So giving right. him the out of saying we will we will talk or we will negotiate. I do like that that the NATO powers are saying that let's let's negotiate something here to try to give him a place to not be, I can't back down because if I back down, then when I get home, they're going to kill me, right? Like, right. So this is diplomacy 101, right? Is that you give your opponent a face-saving way of right. doing what you want them to do. The so, what would be, here, you know, so what would be a face, what, what would be a face-saving, if you will, concession um, for uh, Putin? So that's the fundamental quandary we have here is that the face-saving pathways out of this for Putin all appear to involve uh, meaningful harm to Ukraine's security and sovereignty in some way. So holding on to those sections, but not going further or something right. like that. So, so this gets us, I mean, we're going to get this is more detailed than anybody wants, but the, the agreement that stopped the fighting back in 2014, 2015 um, was an accord called the Minsk Agreement that was signed in Minsk, Belarus, um, between Russia, Ukraine, France, and Germany. And it was an intentionally fuzzily written accord that basically gave some degree of uh, independence or sovereignty to the non-Ukrainian government-controlled parts of the Donbas, of Donetsk and Luhansk. Um, what Russia is saying right now is we want full implementation of the letter, you know, the, 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 all, dot all the I's, cross all the T's uh, of the Minsk Accords, which Russia reads as giving essentially full independence to those areas while okay. still remaining in Ukraine. Ah. So if you're sitting in Kiev, if you're the Ukrainian government, that's unacceptable to you because that's basically giving Russia an entry point into your own government, right? Right. It's a gigantic infringement on your sovereignty. So as long as that's a line that Russia is holding and that is a line that Russia is holding, um, that there's no face-saving way out there. The demands that Russia is making to Washington in writing are things like guarantees on paper that Ukraine will never join NATO, that NATO membership will come off the table for any country that was ever a part of the Soviet Union, and that NATO military forces will be removed from all countries that join NATO post-1997. Know why that's going to happen, right? So, no. well, not only that, but we don't believe in telling sovereign nations whether they can join NATO or not. Like, thank you. So, that's the like, that's entirely, you, right? we'd like you to be non democratic. And we're like, uh, no, sorry, but that's not how we're, that's not how we're formed. We don't so go around telling Ukraine whether they can join or not. Yes. The most important point here, the mantra in Ukraine is no decisions about Ukraine without Ukraine. Right. Ukraine, yeah. and, and so Ukraine is not some 
miserable backwater of a place, right? Ukraine, especially since 2014, um, when they took dramatic steps forward toward, uh, toward integration with the West, you know, Ukraine is, you know, Kiev is one of my favorite cities in the world. It's incredibly modern, well-developed, an incredibly robust civil society, um, brilliant young people working in tech and design and politics. And, and it's just a marvelous place, definitely oriented toward Western values, Western principles. Um, yeah, we shouldn't be talking over Ukraine's head and telling them what to do. But Russia's goal here fundamentally is remaking the entire global security order, yep. and particularly the order that has governed European security um, since the end of World War II. Um, yeah, full stop. Russia wants to pull the rug out from under all that and remake it in a more Russia-centric, Russia-friendly way. And we One just left. have to say no. Correct. And be willing One, to fight for it. It's worth fighting for. Yeah. yeah. One last question before we end this uh, short episode, Judy, if you will. Uh, for those of us who are not particularly knowledgeable about uh, Russia-West relations, um, uh, Russia and the Ukraine, um, what should we be paying attention to in the upcoming days and weeks um, uh, in regards to this dispute? So two things. One is in terms of diplomacy, watch for a couple of meetings that have been put on the table in the last couple of days. Um, the American Secretary of State and the Russian Foreign Minister are, are, I think have already scheduled a meeting for early next week presumably that will take military action off the table until that conversation has taken place. But also watch um, Putin and the president of Belarus where an enormous number of these Russian forces are deployed on the Ukrainian border with Belarus. Um, Putin and Russia's president are due to go observe some of these military exercises that are being conducted with these Russian troops on the border. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what plays out of a presidential presence in those exercises. I'm also watching really closely those um, TikTok videos you talked about, Nia, before, where you know ordinary people are showing tanks running through their neighborhoods, um, and also a lot of other um, uh, open source intelligence, um, OSINT, we call it, um, open source intelligence that we're getting from people who are watching the Russian troop movements. What we've seen over the last 24 to 48 hours are military medical units, including blood supplies being moved up to the front, uh, seeing yeah. repair vessels moving into uh, some of the naval forces that Russia has deployed. Um, you know, there's a lot of hardware that's being brought up to the front lines that you generally don't bring up if all you're doing are training exercises. Yeah, I was about to say, if all you're doing is running uh, drills um, or scenarios, you don't need a lot of those units, right? Right. Okay, because you're not planning for um, actual violence, right? Harm, right. okay, etc. You're not thinking that you're going to have to go ahead and fix a whole bunch of equipment because all you're doing are drills, right? Right. But if you're thinking that it's going to be more than drills, well, then of course you're going to go ahead and need the medical units. You're going to need the blood supply. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to you're going to need the repair units. Um, right behind the quote-unquote front line. I mean, 
you know, this is fighting a war 101, right? <laughs> okay. And, and that level of combat readiness, you know, where, where you're right at the edge, um, it's logistically impossible and unbelievably expensive to maintain for a long time. Yeah. So they, they either are about to move or they desperately want us to think that they are. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Thanks, Judy, for making me not sleep for the next two weeks while I worry about this. <laughs> Go back to the no technical nukes thing, right? It, okay, good. It, there, no, virtually nobody who understands the situation is seriously, I mean, obviously, you, know, you prepare for contingencies, obviously, but right. that's not going to happen. But this is going to be a land war. Keeps me up at night. This is going to be a land war in those regions. And what we will need to do is plan to help support those people as they fight for basically for their lives and for their freedom, because that's what that's what this is. This is the future of the Western liberal democratic order at stake. Ukraine is the front line of Western liberal democracy. Yep. Wow. Well, thank you so much for coming and giving us a short. We appreciate it. We're a little longer than our normal shorts, but you know what? It's a more complicated thing than our normal shorts. So we really appreciate you breaking it down for us. Um, and I feel certain that when we invade, or if they, excuse me, if Russia, if when Russia invades, not us, because we won't be doing that. Um, sorry, Canada, I didn't mean to scare you. Um, the Were you channeling Putin there? Uh, no, I was. I was like, and, and Trudeau, watch out. Um, so if and when that happens, will you come back and tell us of sort of what's going on on the ground? You bet. Great. Thank Thanks, you so Judy. much. Okay. Good to see you. Good to Bye. see you guys. Yep.